I'm so happy to be able to look back on the last four months where I was like really struggling and like really just like feeling like a piece of shit. Like I had no idea what was going to happen. Um, I'm thankful that I was, you know, able to get through that. And I can look back on that now and be like, I'm proud of you, Piper, for getting through it and sticking with it. And yes, it was hard, but like, look where your perseverance got you. Hi guys, and welcome back to another episode of Vulnerable. I am your host, Chelsea Vaughn. And today we have an amazing episode because my bestie Piper James is here with me in the studio. We're talking all about interracial relationships and interracial dating. Piper is from my season of The Bachelor and Bachelor in Paradise, as you guys know, I'm sure, and is currently in a relationship with Brendan. So she's in an interracial relationship and she's mixed. So her parents are obviously also in an interracial relationship. Um, And she actually went to school for political science and race relations and just is like very educated and smart and brilliant about the topic. Um, so I really wanted to have her on and like mostly let her talk about everything that she knows so she can educate us. Um, and okay. Also, okay. This is my bestie. So we're going to brag a little bit, but, um, she, you might know her for like her curly hair content on Instagram. She's a queen. She's killing it in that way. She just got a new job as a social media manager. So she's back in New York with me. I could not be happier about that. We're both Brooklyn girlies now. Um, and the topic was just like, Really, I think it's going to be interesting for you guys to listen to and to hear. I think you will learn a lot. Um, And I think it'll just be nice for everyone to know that it's like not one size fits all when it comes to mixed people or dating outside your race. Um, Yeah, it was just a great episode. I loved it. I love having my bestie here. And we're just going to get straight into it. So here's Piper. Guys, today we have one of my besties in the studio. She has finally returned to New York City. It's Piper James. It's, oh my God, I'm so happy to be back. (laughs) I feel like it's been an eternity um, and I feel like I'm like coming alive again back in the city and I'm happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you back. Um, As you guys know, Piper is my forever plus one and I am hers. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I got my plus one back and you moved to Brooklyn. Yeah. I mean, I really like, I'm like melding into your life. I'm like, I will become Chelsea Ball. (laughs) I will be in Brooklyn. (laughs) Okay, but before you were like, I'm never going to move to Brooklyn. Like, I don't want to be in Brooklyn. I don't You didn't say never, no, but you were yeah. like, I really want to be in Manhattan. And and it, which, where did you move? Is it Fort? Well, maybe we shouldn't tell everyone where you yeah. live. <laughs> I live in Brooklyn, still close to Manhattan. <laughs> um, no, but the new job I got is in Brooklyn. So it was like actually stupid for me to move to Manhattan and pay ridiculous rent when I would have to come to Brooklyn anyway. So Fair, this well, was easier. No complaints from me on the Brooklyn front. <laughs> Um, so we're going to get into what's going on and it's you season four. Mm. The first half was released on Netflix yesterday. Um, and then there's like a second half coming out in March, but how do you feel about you and how do you feel about Penn Badgley? Like I watched, I've watched it all. I'm caught up Mm -hmm. except for the new. Um, I think it's getting a little too like insane. Like season three was getting to the point where it was almost laughable. Like, you know, when you go to a movie and it's like supposed to be a horror film and you're mm-hmm. like cracking up, it was like that. <laughs> like at first, like season one and two were like, okay, this is interesting, cool, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Season three, it was like, he killed so many people that it was to the point where it's like, all right, yeah. is there just not a forensics team? Like, is, yeah. is there <laughs> no one paying attention around? Like, it was ridiculous. But how do you feel? I mean, I liked season one a lot, but I was like, like, I think everyone pissed at the end because I was like, this is not how the ending was supposed to go. 
you wait, know, what happened at the end of season two? Of season one, when oh. he like kills her, and oh. you're like, oh wait, no, that's not. Oh, spoiler alert, guys! Oh if yeah, you haven't, seen- <laughs> you haven't seen season one of a show that's on season four. Okay, if you haven't seen season one, it's your own fault. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> um, and then season two, I was like, okay, this is like kind of a different story. I like it. It's you know, I'm seeing the progression of things, but that got a little too murdery for me. <laughs> And then season three, I, like, started it, and then it was off the bat murdery. And I was like, you know what? It's too much. It's not realistic. It's not so much psychological at this point, as you were saying. It's, like, more just horror. And I was like, I'm out. I can't do this anymore. Yeah, that's where season three took a turn. It was, like, just so much murder. Yeah, yeah. Like, but you like – don't you like, like, true crime and, like – Yeah, I do. I do. But I feel like when it's – I have, like, a whole thing about, like, fantasized true crime. Like, Mm. if it's, like – I don't know. I like when it's, like, based on a true story right. or if it's, like – True crime. Yeah, like, true crime. <laughs> or if it's, like, I don't know, like, a law and order or something that, like, is feels a little bit more realistic. This is just, like, blood, guts, murder, stat. Like, it's, like, that's not really my my jam. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I'm interested to see what season four brings because, like, I feel like they're on top of it. Like, I think the Netflix shows are really, like, they listen to what yeah. people want in the audience or whatever. Um, and Pam Badgley, like, obviously is his own person and not mm. this character, <laughs> Joe Goldberg. But, like, it's funny. I think it's interesting how he always brings up, like, on, I don't know, TikTok or, like, his podcast or whatever. Like, he's always like, why are you guys so obsessed with the fact – like, why are you guys so obsessed with this show? And, like, why are you, like, so attracted to me, like, the character yeah. that I play? Like, he was like, if I wasn't, like, an attractive-looking white male, <laughs> like, I don't think you guys would be so into this show. And I just think that's so – Interesting, but yeah. he also said this week that he told the creator of this show that for season four he doesn't want any more sex scenes, like out of respect for his wife. It oh yeah, I mean go off. We love that. I think it's interesting because I think a lot of those types of like Netflix HBO shows because they can get away with all the sex scenes that you can't on like cable television. It's kind of an appeal, like it's you know a guilty pleasure for people. Uh, that's a good point. That's um, like HBO. Yeah, HBO is like. So much sex. So much sex. You're like, that was unnecessary. Um, So I'm interested to see kind of like how that pans out because I think, first of all, no offense to him, but like, I don't think that he's all that attractive. I think that just like the, the bad boy psychology of it is attractive. Yeah. Um, But that is interesting. I wonder, I wonder how they'll receive that feedback. Well, apparently they said, yeah, because he was like, I'm not going to sign on to season four if Without, if you don't have your main character, then I guess, well, yeah, <laughs> I guess you're kind of screwed. Then he kind of put them in, in between a rock and a hard place. Yeah, but he said fidelity, fidelity in every relationship, including my marriage, is important to me. It got to the point where I don't want to do that, so my desire would go from zero, from a hundred to zero, if I signed this contract. Interesting. Well, I do feel like a lot of those sex scenes are like hyper realistic, and I just wonder from a filming perspective, like how much that feels like you're cheating on your significant other. Yeah, or like. He has to go home at night. At the, yeah. end of, at the end of his work day, he has to go home to his wife and she's like, what the fuck? Like, I yeah. have to keep watching this. And it's like the different camp. Like, how many times do you have to shoot that same scene? Like, I'm just thinking from like, I, I'm i with him. Like, I would be like, I can't do this anymore. This doesn't feel faithful. But a lot of people in the comments were like, well, if you're not attracted to your co-star, like, what's the problem? Like, it's just acting. Like, why do you have a problem with it if you're not into your co-star? I mean... I think that's a bullshit I take. think that's completely yeah. bullshit. Like, I think that they're just mad that they don't get to watch him have sex on screen anymore. <laughs> like, how would you feel? If, like, put, put yourself in those right. shoes. Like, how would you feel if your spouse or whatever was, like, going out and, like, pretending to have sex with somebody for a job? Right. I mean, I'm not going to – I'm not going to act like I'm I – would, I would not be okay I with that. I would not this. be okay with that. <laughs> like, I'm not big enough 
like to date an actor. I think yeah. it would bother me and I don't think I could handle it. Like not going to lie. Yeah. No, I don't. I think like a kissing scene, that's fine. Like that, I don't, that just like doesn't really cross a line for me if you're an actor. Right. Underscore, underscore. But I think a sex scene is like a whole nother thing. Yeah. Especially having to watch it back. Maybe I just wouldn't watch it back. No, I wouldn't. Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when we were like leaving the show and we were like, oh, if we like ended up with Matt, like would we watch it back? And I'm like, no, 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 no. chance I'd be able to. Um, so today our topic is interracial dating. I'm very excited to hear Piper's thoughts on it, being as you are interracial, yes. in case anyone doesn't know. <laughs> yes, I have a white mother and a black father. <laughs> Clear that up right away. Yeah. Um, but you've also dated interracially like mm-hmm. yourself. I, now that I think about it, I literally have never, I don't even think I've, no, I've been on one date. Okay. One date. I've never dated outside my race. I'm, I, it's not that I'm, like, purposely choosing that. Mm-hmm. Like, I will admit I think I am more attracted to black guys. Yeah. But it's not like when I'm on dating apps, I'm just setting it to, like, black like, only. Like, yeah. <laughs> okay, I refuse. Yeah, yeah. Although I did that one time on The League because for whatever reason with that specific app, like, 95% of the people are, are white. I mean, it's, like, isn't it made for, like, Ivy League? Is that, like, the original? Originally, yeah, it was. Mm, that tracks. <laughs> I guess you're right. It's not, it's not like <laughs> Howard and Spellman people are yeah. on there. Um, but that white that app was so white that I just I clicked every single race except for white, and yeah. I still got mostly white guys. <laughs> so like it was All a right. struggle on that one. Um, but other than that, like I've been open to it. It's just never popped up for me. Yeah. But um, <laughs> obviously, you're dating someone white now. Oh my god, what? I had no idea. <laughs> but like, let's talk about your. I want to talk about your parents though, and like okay. growing up because. Obviously, I didn't have the same experience. Both of my parents are black. Mm-hmm. But how, like, early on of an age would you say that you, like, realized it was different? Well, okay. So I grew up in a really white area. First of all, Oregon. It's just, like, already super white. Um, and then where I grew up is, like, specifically super white. Um, so it was interesting because, like, we were the only black family in my neighborhood all of my childhood. It wasn't, literally, I remember the day my sisters called me when I was away at college and they were like, another black family moved in. (laughs) Like, it was like a big deal. Um, So I always like, not that I felt different, but I did always have this understanding that my family structure, the way we looked was different than my friends and everything. Um, And there was like, I did have like a few black friends growing up. Like, so it wasn't like I was just like completely isolated in a white community and we were just like the only black family. Um, But I think that like all the credit to my parents and specifically my mom for never making it seem like there was anything wrong with it. And if there was ever questions or like, especially when I was little, if I ever had questions or like wonderings or like, I didn't understand, you know, now what I know is microaggressions. If I didn't understand them, my mom, who was white, was very good at being like, okay, let's talk about, like, let's talk about this. Let's try to understand this. Um, Like, when I was in first grade preschool, I don't remember. It was like kindergarten, preschool, maybe first grade. Somebody asked me. They only saw my mom because my dad worked full time and my mom was a principal. So she would come and go from, like, different school events because she was kind of on our same schedule. And someone was like, oh, is that your mom? And I was like, yeah, my mom is blonde. So we don't look anything alike. And someone was like, oh, are you adopted? And I was like, I mean, as a kid, I was like, obviously devastated. I didn't know how to respond to that. Um, so it's like little stuff like that growing up that I was aware that like, you know, having a white mom and a black dad looked different to people. Um, but it wasn't until older, why I was older until I was like really started to unpack that. Yeah. Do you feel like you noticed when you were younger, like, I feel like people are always talking about in interracial interracial relationships that like they get looks 
like that people like stare at them or like, and obviously when you were younger, this was what, 20 years ago yeah. <laughs> so in, in Oregon. So like, did you ever notice like, you feel like people were like staring at your parents or like strangers being weird about things like that? Um, I think it was not that I specifically noticed, but this did happen to us a lot. We would be out and it was, you know, obviously my parents and my two sisters and my sisters are twins, but they don't look anything alike. You know, one of them has blonder hair, lighter eyes. The other one looks more like me. She's super tall. Um, but when we were little, we would go out and keep in mind, like, we're going to, like, Red Robin, Applebee's, like, chain restaurants. All the white families are there. And people would come up to us and be like, oh, my gosh, your daughters are so cute, which, of course, is a compliment. But it's like they're not going up to the white families. I think it's just like, you know, you start to realize this, like, otherness. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just, like, that was kind of something that – I noticed and then later on was like, okay, well, that was because we looked different. Um, but where we grew up was also like, it, it's a very liberal area. So I don't think that there was as much like sideways looks because mm. we were an interracial family. It was more just so like, we see that you are an interracial family and you don't look like everyone else in this community. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. I feel like I, as I got older, also realized that like things that people said were like, Yes. <laughs> I'm from Georgia, if you guys don't know that by, by now. But like, I, yeah, I just didn't realize certain things when I was younger. Like, you don't get it. No. Like, you don't know, especially when adults are like talking to you as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, but just for reference for you guys, I looked this up. Um, <laughs> fun fact, interracial marriage didn't become legal in the U.S. until 1967. So fun. Like, literally, that's a year before my mom was born. I was going to say, like, to put that in perspective, like, my mom was like, I don't know six or seven at the time. My dad was like 10. Yeah. <laughs> that's insane. what it became. Like your parents are a little bit younger than mine, but I just feel like that's not that long ago. No, not at all. I think that's interesting too. And a lot of people don't know this, but Oregon is one of the most racist states. Like there's a huge history of racism specifically with like Chinese Americans and people that were like brought here to build the railroads. And, you know, there's a lot of that history that's problematic in Oregon. But I think people think because it's on the West Coast and it's liberal, like that that isn't a thing. But I mean, like we're talking about now, there's not a lot of black people in Oregon and there's a reason for that. Um, And I'm not going to get into the whole history of Oregon racism, but it's like, (laughs) it's a very like covert racism that you don't really understand. Um, And I think again, when I got older, I kind of was able to like pinpoint more those, those problematic areas. Um, And like a lot of the reasons that like, we didn't go to certain parts of Oregon because there was like that history there. Which is so crazy. And honestly, like to this day, I'm like, would be terrified to go to certain parts of Georgia. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel that way about like a lot of different places that I'm, I think it's, I'm now realizing it. And maybe my parents, like my parents did a great job raising us and being like, you know, very like, this is the world, but also like, you know, we were pretty sheltered. Um, And I'm honestly thankful for that because I got to discover it on my own. But now I'm realizing that like, our family, like you're saying, like our family wouldn't be welcome certain places. And like, we would be looked at sideways. Um, so like, I want to give all the credit to my parents for being like, let's talk about this, but like, also like, you don't need to carry the weight of this on your shoulders from such a young age. Yeah. Oh, I wish, <laughs> I wish Deborah was here. We could, <laughs> so we could get her take. thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> but I wonder how much, like how much of it was shielded from you that you don't even realize happened. Oh yeah. Because I mean, your parents were like on it. Yeah. I mean, I guess you don't know what you don't know. My grandparents, my, my mom's parents have like a lot of stories of people, like when my parents first got married, um, like older neighbors or whatever saying stuff. Like this one woman, she was like apparently an elderly woman in their neighborhood. And my mom and dad were engaged or like about to be married. 
or they were freshly married, whatever, irrelevant to the story, this woman asked my grandparents, like, oh, he, he, they were, he was over at my, um, my grandparents' house, and they were like, the woman was like, oh, um, when he's done, can you send that guy over to, to cut my grass? Like, <laughs> literally thought my dad was the gardener because she just had very, like, old views um, and was never, like, it never crossed her mind, obviously, like, oh, this is their new son-in-law or soon-to-be <laughs> son-in-law. Um, what the fuck? Yeah. So, and it's like, <laughs> I didn't ever hear that story until I was like 18 or whatever, but I'm sure that there is a lot of instances like that, that I just like never, never knew about. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of friends that are mixed that, and like I've dated a lot of guys that are mixed, mm-hmm. but it's always coincidentally, I don't know coincidence or not, but like, <laughs> it's always white mom, black dad. Yeah. So, like, what are your thoughts on that? Because, I mean, there's a lot to unpack here. Oh, God, yeah. There's a lot lot to unpack. But it's just, like, makes me think about, like, the stigma of, like, black men not wanting to date black women. Yeah. No, I mean, I've honestly thought about this a lot. Also being someone who, like, obviously before my current relationship, also dated people that were mixed, black, whatever. Um, And growing up, like I was saying, in a predominantly white area, like, I always had that thought of, like, do white men not like me? Am I not going to be desirable because I'm black? And it was like, it's sad for any little girl to grow up and be like, it wasn't because like, am I not pretty? Am I not this? I mean, it's like, it was specifically like, do they like black women? Um, And I honestly have like a lot of thoughts. And I think that like, (laughs) there is, you know, each person is different. And, you know, however you unpack their trauma or their association with them being, you know, let's talk about men, like a man of color, a black man, that's on them. Um, But I think that it is also, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that you see a lot of black, black dad, white mom. Um, And I honestly like haven't unpacked it fully within myself and like my family. But I think that like for anybody who's in an interracial relationship, whichever way it goes, I think it's important to realize that like, if you were the white partner in that, you need to be an ally because you're not just dating this person because they're beautiful. Obviously you are, you, you're attracted to them in some way, but like you have to understand that with that and whether this is like a black person or any other person of color, like you have to understand with that comes maybe some baggage that person's not even aware of, but um, your, your whiteness and like your privilege in the world is something that they haven't experienced and they're not, you know, you don't resent your partner for that, but um, you, it is something that you have to be aware of and you don't get to just like live in that, that ignorance of your privilege anymore because you are now dating somebody, you're now associating with somebody who doesn't live in that same privilege. Yeah. We don't have to go here if you don't want to, but like, I'm just curious if you've had this conversation with your dad ever. My dad is not one to unpack his feelings like that. <laughs> um, I think, you know, in 2020, like during George Floyd and everything, we were having more conversations as a, an entire family. Um, and my dad obviously has thoughts and opinions on the matter, but like he's not really one to be like, you know, shout it from the rooftops. Yeah. Um, and that's fine. And like, I think for any person of color, like it's not your job to unpack your association with your race to other people. Um, but like, yeah, my dad's not really one to to do any of that <laughs> unpacking. Right. I was just cur- like wondering if like, if you knew he did, like, did he date any, who did he date before your mom? Oh, I do know that. Oh, okay. 
Yeah. Um, he was in a relationship for a long time before my mom with, I believe that she was a Hispanic woman. Mm. I know that he, I mean, he's from Brooklyn. He's from Brooklyn. Yes. Um, <laughs> as you know, and as he loves to tell you. Yeah. Um, and so I think that most, from my understanding, most of his previous relationships were with women of color. Yeah. Interesting. I love your parents, like, not to, like, put them on blast, but I just love their, like, meet cute story. Oh, my. Yeah. Um, my parents met in a club. <laughs> Which is like in my in my eyes, like the one and only time that that's gonna happen. Literally, for your mom is like the exception to the rule. Oh like, yeah, yeah. Met her husband at the club, but my mom is like very much a go getter, and I think that she saw this man in the club and she was like, "Him, I need, <laughs> I need that." And so, you know, they've been together for twenty six years now. So, so cute. You can meet a man in the club <laughs> if you're Deborah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I also wanted to talk about just like this doesn't really have to do like with dating, but like just being mixed in general. Like I feel like a lot of mixed people talk about how they kind of have like an identity crisis because it's like, okay, I'm too black Mm -hmm. to be with the white people and I'm too white to be with the black people. Like, did you do you feel like that still or like did you feel like that when you were growing up? Um, Growing up because I didn't really have I mean, I had like because I played sports. Obviously, I had like the occasional black friend, but I felt more so, I I felt more so of an identity crisis when I went to college and like a little bit beyond, but I think it kind of started in college. Um, And I don't think that, you know, I don't think it's like, it's, it's hard. It's hard to like, to kind of have that realization that you're like one foot in, one foot out in, in any which way. But I think that it's also like to be celebrated, like you can, I mean, everyone talks about code switching and like, you know, whether or not you have a positive or negative connotation with that, I do think that it is something that is like to be celebrated. Like I, and this is also because I grew up in a white community. Like I know how to like get down with the, the Betsy's of the world. <laughs> Like, I can speak that language, but then also... <laughs> I'm Betsy. <laughs> I don't know why Betsy. Like, Becky. Becky. Whatever you want to call Be- it. Karen's, <laughs> you know. I know I know it all. Um, but then I also feel like, you know, I, could, I can fit into, you know, a black setting too, whatever that looks like, which I think is to be celebrated, but it also does cause a lot of, like, you know, otherness, especially when I was in college and there was, like, these clubs that are, like you know, the, I don't even remember what they were called, but like the black kids club and like whatever. And like, obviously all of Greek life is basically white. Um, and I was not in Greek life. Thank goodness. But, yeah, me either. but um, I could have been, I mean, there were the black Greek life. Yeah, too. no, I went to college in Oregon. That was not a thing. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it was, but it wasn't like they didn't have a house and they weren't like, you know, it wasn't a whole thing. Right. Um, so I, I think that that's kind of where it started was like, you know, a lot of my friends in college were still white, but then I also was, like, getting more black friends and, like, getting, like, more into the, quote, quote, culture of it all. Um, And that was, like, definitely an awakening for me, but then I also kind of felt guilty. Like, I wasn't in touch with, like, my black side enough, and, like, I didn't, you know, and so that's when I started, like, really leaning in and, like, learning about it in school and, like, learning about it from, like, an academic perspective. I think kind of, I mean, I was interested in it, and but also, like, kind of be to be, like, I feel guilty for not, knowing yeah um because it wasn't I wasn't surrounded by it all the time right well at least you like went out of your way to teach yourself a (laughs) lot of people don't do that so how do you feel like now all of this Mm -hmm. has kind of led into how you date now like when you were in Oregon you did you were dating white guys like you did before or no um I now I'm like I haven't had that many 
boyfriends. I would say like boyfriend wise. Not that it's a long list. I just can't remember. Um, I think I've, I've dated. I think with, I would say that Brendan is the first like white guy that I've dated. Oh, like, okay. But, but his dad's from Portugal, so it's, like, there's, like, you know, whatever. There's intersectionality in that. But, like, when you look at him, like, white he guy. He looks white. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, like, speaking from, like, an interracial perspective, like, I – my one of my boyfriends in college was, like, the longest relationship I had in college. Um, he was part Filipino, I think had some Native American, and then was white. So, like, you kind of dated across the, quote, unquote, racial spectrum. Yeah. Um, and that's just more because I – think that I have, like, definitely a type that I'm attracted to. But I think what kind of trumps everything for me is, like, do we have a good vibe? Do we get along? Um, and that, in my, like, dating history, has looked like a lot of different people. Not a lot. Like, let's calm down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think the one thing that, like, not scares me, but, mm-hmm. like, one thing that kind of, like, holds me back as far as dating outside my race would be the shared understanding. Like, the miss, mm-hmm. the missing shared understanding. Like, yeah. And I get you – I could totally fall in love with someone who's not black and we could be totally fine. But it's like being black and being a woman are like very large parts of who yeah. I am. <laughs> so like I like to compare it to gender because it's like when you're with – you don't have to explain things when mm-hmm. you're with another girl. Yeah. Like yeah. there are just things that are understood because you're both women and you get it. It's like that's the same thing with being black. And it's like I just don't want to like – in a romantic relationship, like, I just want to feel very understood. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's a part of myself that I don't care to have to explain. Yeah, yeah. And there are people that are, like, incredible and, like, go out of their way to learn and, like, can get it. Like, can mm-hmm. be with it. But, like, will, like, still won't ever get it, get it. Get it, get it. But they <laughs> like, try. As much as they try, like, yeah. love that for them. Um, But it's just, like, that's my take on it. But how do you feel about that since you have – I mean, I haven't dated anyone that's not black. Yeah. I mean, I think not to just make this whole episode a shout out to my parents. <laughs> oh, no, I love it. Um, but I think that I um, I think I'm kind of like you where I don't want to have to explain it, but like I will because, hello, I'm a black person. But then also um, I studied in school and like I, you know, so I like did, I guess, that extra step of work. Um, so if I need to explain it, I will. But that being said, I think – my mom, for example, she is white and she is, but <laughs> we got that. <laughs> yeah. She, um, the, where she, where she used to work was, um, you know, in the education system, like a predominantly minority area. So like she was doing it, she was like doing the research and reading the books and like learning all of these things about how to educate children, but then also like have living it in her own life. Um, so I would say that she's like, a star ally, but then also, like, a great partner to have. But like I said, my dad's not the one to be, like, let me tell you about this. Like, and so, like, I think from my perspective, I'm, like, that's the kind of partner I want is somebody who just, like, gets it because they get it and wants to get it because they want to get it. Um, And kind of how that translates into dating is I kind of have that expectation, which I don't think is a bad expectation to have. Uh, But then if you are going to be my partner, I don't – if I'm trying to explain something to you, I don't want you to argue with me because you don't know. Like, you have never lived this experience. Um, And so I think that that's also, like, part of it, too. Like, you have to understand that, like, sometimes it's okay to shut up because you didn't live this experience. Just like, I'm I'm not a man. I can't understand man things. So if you want to tell me them, I will listen. (laughs) Yeah. Do you feel like besides the shared understanding thing, there's anything else with interracial dating that you've noticed that's like different than when you've had a black partner? 
Um, I think it's hard in my current relationship. I think it's hard to compare because like people obviously know us. So I don't think it's like a fair comparison. That is a good point. Um, I know that like we've talked about, um, you know, like do people give you looks or whatever? Yeah. And the only time that I've noticed like looks or I felt any type of uncomfortable is if Brendan and I are going on a road trip or and then we like stop in a gas station somewhere and it's like the middle of nowhere, wherever. Mm-hmm. That's when I kind of start to feel like really uncomfortable because I feel like people are looking at us. Um, and I find myself, this is weird, but I find myself like leaning on his whiteness in those situations to feel more comfortable. So like if we walk into a gas station in the middle of who knows where and, you know, he goes to the bathroom and I'm just like standing in the the convenience store area and I feel like I'm getting weird looks. Like I'm going to, when he comes out of the bathroom, like I'm going to hug extra close to him and like I, because I don't want people to perceive me however they perceive people of color. Um, so I kind of lean into him in that way. And that's not something that I would do if I had a black partner. And I feel like I would stand more confidently in who I am as a black person and be like, we're not a threat to you. But because I kind of have this like fallback safety net of him, I find myself kind of like finding comfort in that. Mm. It's like a very honest thing to say. (laughs) And I get it. Um, It makes sense. I don't know. I feel like I want to like I was going to ask you about the looks and stuff with you mm. and Brendan, but it's very hard. Like, you, you're you kind of public. Yeah, we, like, we just get looks because we are. Yeah. yeah. So, like, I'm sure you're unable to decipher what's a look because they recognize you or what's a look because they hate your guts from the show. Yeah, or yeah. What's a look because you're black. Like, Yeah, like, I can't. Yeah. And it's like you never, you're never, like, looking at the look. You're just feeling the look. So, right. and I feel like it is interesting, though, because I feel like because there hasn't been, like, as obviously as many black contestants as there have been white contestants – it is interesting to me that people still – if Brendan and I are together, I am recognized, I would say, like, 70% more than if I'm just by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's interesting. And, like, obviously he made it further in the show and, like, you know, we don't have to get into the whole show aspect of it. But I do think that that is an interesting thing that, like, out of all the white guys that the Bachelor franchise has seen, like, people will still point him out. But then, like, not that I'm, like, out here needing to get recognized, but it is it is interesting, like, that there is that differentiation between us together and us individually or I guess me individually but I wonder if it's like you together as a couple or if it's like just being together oh no people recognize him and like straight up not have any idea who I am Uh, which is like completely fine with me and I'm like yeah you know whatever but um it's interesting yeah because I know like in even if like you and I are together like people recognize us more just because like we're in a group with the girls or whatever um do these conversations ever come up between you and Brendan? Like, do you talk about, obviously, it's very obvious yeah, yeah. <laughs> that you're in an interracial relationship, but, like, do you guys have conversations about it? I think it comes up. Um, it's not like I'm like, today, Brendan, I would like to speak to you about how I am black and you are white. <laughs> um, and no, it's not that formal. It's just more of, like, like the gas station situation. Um, me kind of, like, telling him things, like, you know, if I'm, like, in a mood or whatever. And it's it more comes up, obviously, like, organically. Um, and, and we do talk about it, but I think that there's also, like, if you're in – I think that we could do a better job about talking about it, if I'm being honest. Um, but there's also, like, in our relationship specifically, you know, it's not like his family, you know, came over on the Mayflower and they're, like, all white. It's, you know, his dad – was from Portugal. And so it's like, there is some areas like in that where like my dad is from Panama. So it's like, we have areas that we can like talk about in terms of like having an immigrant parent or whatever. Um, 
But yeah, I feel like honestly, we could do a better job about talking about like the, you know, surface level appearance of him being a white man and me being a black woman. Um, And I think that that's important for any interracial relationship. And I will say just like there is no blueprint to dating a person of color if you're a white person. Everybody's experience is different. Everybody's, you know, the way that they associate with their culture um, or don't or, you know, if they want to talk about it, if they don't want to talk about it, that is, you know, all very – that differs from person to person. So you like, you know – while I'm saying this, like I would, I'm that person in a relationship that wants to talk about it, but it's not necessarily like every person that you get into an interracial, interracial relationship is going to want to talk about it. Yeah. Cause I feel like even some of the like guys that I've dated that are mixed, like might be way closer to one side of their family than the other. Mm-hmm. Like one guy that I dated, his father wasn't around and that was his black side. So like he just didn't know his entire black side of the family. Yeah. And that kind of just plays into, like, how you feel about how you identify and, like, how Mm -hmm. you, I don't know, adjust to being, I don't know, just how you identify. No, definitely. Yeah. And I think that there's also, like, you know, as a, if you're a white partner and you, like, are looking at your, let's say, in this situation, like, your black partner, I think that it's, like, you have to be very cautious not to assume that you know everything about them, you know, when you first meet them or like how they're going to identify or be like, oh, you're black. So you must X, you know, say as problematic to as like innocent as you want to make that. I feel like there is, you need, you know, you need to be cautious about saying that like, you don't seem, cause this is another microaggression I got growing up is like, oh, you're very well-spoken, which I feel like every black person gets that. Um, and it's, that's a horrible thing to say, to assume that your blackness means something about your level of intelligence, education, whatever someone means by that. Um, yeah, if anyone white listening to this podcast, just please never say that again. Yeah, like actually like <laughs> cut it out of your entire You, you might think you're being nice. It's not nice. It's not nice. It's actually like so problematic. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I've gotten that. You talk white, you're yeah. an Oreo, you, every, I've gotten everything. All, everything under the sun. Yeah. Um, so like in, in just like understanding that just from like a racial perspective across the board, dating or not, going into a relationship with a person of color, understand that you don't know their background. You don't know how they associate. Um, you don't know if they identify with how, however you are perceiving them, don't. Like let yeah. them, let them tell you how they are. Let them tell you how they associate with their culture. Let them kind of guide you there because like your preconceived implicit biases are not going to be helpful and constructive in your relationship. Yeah. I mean, it is nice that your parents are still together, but like, do you feel closer to one side of your family than the other? We grew up around my mom's side of the family and my dad's side of the family kind of lives a little bit of everywhere. So I do feel closer to my white side of the family because I grew up around them. Mm -hmm. Um, but, like, that's not to say when we go to where my dad's side of the family lives. Like, I don't – I do feel close to them. It's just, like, I didn't have that same, like, growing up experience around them. So it's, like, I don't know a lot about them personally as they don't know a lot about me personally. Um, but it's also, like, it's interesting because my dad's side of the family is from Panama. So it's not, like, you know, I don't – I think that people, when they think, like, black culture, they have, like, this black culture in mind. And, you know, my black side of the family has that. But then there's also this, like, Latin side of – the Latin side of it that comes into it because they are from Panama. My dad was born there. Um, so like somebody dating me, you can't just assume like, oh, you're half black. So you must associate with like these pinnacles of black culture, whatever that looks like for whoever. It's like, that's not me. That's that's not how my black side of the family is. Yeah. So since you kind of felt closer to the white side growing up and then you do have the 
Panamanian part of it. <laughs> um, how do you feel like you've, or like in what ways do you feel like you kind of like lean into black culture or like have grown to understand it more? Yeah. Or I, identify with it more? Yeah. I just kind of feel like that's so hard to answer because it's not like I'm like, and this thing is what it right. is. <laughs> um, I read books by black people. Yeah. <laughs> Once upon a time I read a book and it was so enlightening. Um, no, I just feel like I kind of how we were talking about like coming into your own identity yeah. and like how I kind of came into it in college. I think that like I just had to kind of have a conversation with myself and it's like, First of all, I had to do a lot of confidence coaching in myself because I was, like, not a confident kid in any aspect. But, like, being okay being in communities of, like, blackness and, like, associating with whatever that means um, and understanding and, like, telling myself, like, you do have a place here. This is, you know, if society is going to put this label of black on you and, ha and everyone's going to have these thoughts about what that means for you, um, you are – it is okay for you to feel comfortable in these settings around – blackness, black culture, whatever that means, because like that is a part of you, whether or not I grew up around it or not. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't say there's not like one thing that I can pull yeah. out that's like, you know, this is it. But I think that it's just more of like, I'm, I'm okay to be in these settings. Like I, I belong here. I can find identity in this just as much as I find identity in the other part of me. Yeah. I feel like for me, it was really like college. Not mm -hmm. that I had a white side to identify with. I mean, somewhere down the line, I guess. <laughs> Knock it into that. But um, but like I grew up in a very white suburban area. My school was very white. Like there wasn't a ton of black people. And then when I went to school downtown Atlanta, like tons of black people. Yeah. So I feel like that's where I kind of like started becoming more friends with black people. And like not that I was avoiding it or anything. They just literally weren't around. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then that's when I kind of started to like feel like it sounds weird to say feel like identify with it more because obviously I was black the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> but um I don't know. I guess just feel more comfortable like in black spaces and like comfortable with who I am as a person. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you said you weren't like that confident before, I guess, growing up? <laughs> no. <laughs> Do you feel like that was related or unrelated to being mixed? I think that, you know, now looking back on it, I can see it wasn't across the board because I was mixed, but I do see like situations in which that was the case because, you know, I, you know, let's talk about beauty standards. I was going, I was living in this white area, obviously culture continues to perpetrate, you know, white beauty standards, European beauty standards. And growing up in an area where like, you know, you're going to high, middle school, high school, and everyone's going through puberty. And like the, the boys are like, oh, look at her. She's so pretty. And like the girl who's always so pretty, the girl that's like getting the superlatives or however you say that in the yearbook was always a white girl. So I think that that also helped like went towards diminishing my confidence and me not having those spaces to be like, look how beautiful blackness is. Um, Obviously, we don't need to get down a whole like hair journey thing, but I feel like that <laughs> no. was also that's also like a big part of it is understanding that like, you know, it's it's okay to show up as you and like, you know, how God, the universe, whoever you believe in made you. Um, and I just think that, yeah, I didn't have those outlets to feel beautiful when I was younger. And then it wasn't until later down the line when I started like modeling and doing that kind of stuff that I and like in modeling meeting a lot of other black models and being like oh yeah no we're fabulous <laughs> like why why did I ever doubt myself um yeah that reminds me of like TikToks that I've seen you've probably seen them too but it's like black girls talking about how they grew up in predominantly white spaces and then they, it wasn't until they like went to college or like got out of that hometown where they realized like 
oh, it wasn't because I wasn't pretty. Mm -hmm. It's just because I was black. Yeah, literally. (laughs) They literally were like, I didn't go to like homecoming. Like I didn't have a date to this. I didn't like, no boys liked me in school. And I literally just thought I was ugly. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, and then I moved somewhere else and realized that wasn't wasn't the game. I'm not ugly. (laughs) You're not ugly. It's just everyone has, you know, just like everybody has a type. Like everyone, I think that I was growing up around was conditioned to have a type that was not me. Right. Yeah. I think I think that's like another reason why I like maybe somewhere deep down inside, like dating wise, mm-hmm. like, yes, I am more attracted to black guys, like I said. Yeah. But like, I think it was almost a defense mechanism in the beginning because it was like, I'm not even going to go for anyone not black because yeah. like I don't think they're going to be attracted to me at all. That's actually such a good point. And now you're making me think of this guy that I dated in college who, and I, I would do the same thing where I was like, I need you to get it on some level. And maybe that wasn't like, a conscious thought, but I think that I was also always searching for it. And I dated this guy who was like very white passing, like very, very white passing. But his dad was um, like Caribbean, I mm. think, and like was definitely darker. And I think that like I was like, okay, well, he may be white passing, but like at least he gets it from this perspective or like there's this, you know, thing that I can like hold on to to be like, you know, I usually date black guys, but this guy, even though he's white, like I had that like that complex. And obviously that was back then when I was like still trying to like figure it all out in my yeah. own head. Um, but I, yeah, I completely agree. Like it's, it's hard. It's hard to date someone that doesn't quote, quote, get it. Yeah. I mean, it's like to this day, I still like am shocked, caught off guard if anyone not black hits on me. <laughs> like, like was that, was that for me? It's almost like when a girl hits on you, which still I like, I never, it goes right over my head, but yeah. it's like, I'm like, Maybe he's just being nice. Yeah, like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Maybe like, it would have to be blatant for a white guy to like hit on me where I'd be like, oh, shit. Oh, yeah. Because it just, it just, I never expect it. Like, I'm yeah, just no. like, no, nah, he wouldn't. No, nah, I'm not interested. He's not, not going interested. To, yeah. But it's fine because I don't like you. I'm kidding. Yeah, I, don't, <laughs> I don't need it. So bye. <laughs> just kidding. Okay. So we'll do Chell It Like It Is, which is our advice segment. So someone wrote in and asked, how do I actually believe him when he says we're a perfect match, but the timing is just off? He's lying. <laughs> I was about to say, um, why do we have to believe him? My first thought is always never believe men. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> My first thought is do what they do to us. Sorry, that was horrible. <laughs> but no, um, it's an excuse. He's He doesn't want to just say it straight up. So I don't really believe in like the timing being wrong. No. Because if it was going to be your person, like – you guys would figure it out. Like, I don't I don't think it can be right person, wrong time. Yeah. Also, I, like, why string somebody along and say, like, I think we're such, we're the perfect match. But if it's the perfect match, there's no but. Sorry. It's kind of like the if he wanted to, he would thing. Like, Absolutely. If he wanted to be with you and he really thought you were his perfect match, he would probably make it work. Also, what are you talking about? Timing. T- what timing? Like, you can, I mean, people across continents make it work literally yeah (laughs) like I don't know I feel like it's hard because I I want more context but like how to actually believe that I don't think yeah I don't think you need to believe it um I think you need to decide what it is you want like Mm -hmm. do you still want to spend your time investing in this person if he's already said I just think the timing's off it sounds like he's trying to like romanticize the situation and like keep you keep you around yeah he's He's attached a string and cut it, cut the string. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you can find somebody else where the timing is right and the person is right. Yeah. I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Okay, people always ask me, and I feel like this is perfect for us because, you know, we're besties, besties. <laughs> how to make friends, like girlfriends as an adult. Because I think, especially in like a big city like New York, a lot of times like people already have their like core group. Mm -hmm. Like they already have their girl gang, they already have their friends and like are not really trying to make like more, more or new friends. Yeah. But like I saw, I can't remember what this is on, somebody's poll. I think it might have been like we met at Acme or something. Um, but it was like, the percentage of people who wanted to make new friends. And it was like, do you want to make new friends? Or in the poll answers were like, nah, I'm good. Like with my group. And yeah, I would love to. 90% of the people said, yeah, I would love to. Yeah. I feel like who doesn't want to have more friends? Like you never, I mean like, okay, me, but no, that's absolutely <laughs> no not true. No, I love making new friends, but I get it. It's like scary to try to make new friends. Like also moving to New York, like I had you and like the girls from the show, but I obviously didn't know anybody else. Um, I would say my advice for this is like show up, be there, be a little uncomfortable, but like talk to somebody. And this is like my biggest thing. If you someone's like, yeah, we should get drinks. Yeah, we should do this. Like do it, follow up, be like, cool, how's Saturday? Oh, no, not then. Okay, well, this works for me. What about you? Like make the plans because if you keep doing the, oh, we should, then you never will. Like do it. Yeah, I feel like that reminds me of like, and I was just talking to Caroline about this, like mm -hmm. how you, her and I had dinner last fashion week because it was like, it was just so refreshing that Caroline actually followed up and like wanted yeah. to have dinner because so many people, and like maybe it's just our industry more, but like so many people are just fake. Like they yes. literally would just be like, oh my God, it was so good to meet. Let me get your number. Like, let's go for drinks. Like, let's, let me have you over. Like, let's go for brunch. And then like, if you actually reach out, crickets. Yeah, <laughs> I'm that person that's like reaching out like, How's brunch on Saturday? <laughs> I'll give you two chances. And yeah. this is, I'm like this with men too. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. You get two chances and then third strike you're out. No, that's ab I, that's actually such a good analogy. I really think that finding new friends is like dating. Like you can go on a friend date with somebody and be like, you know what? We didn't really click. And that's totally fine. Like you guys don't have to hang out. Or if I do say so myself, like our friend date with Caroline, I feel like we're like, oh my gosh, this is such a good group. Like we click, you know, we have good conversation let's do another friend date. Like, I feel like it's that kind of thing where it's like, you don't have to be best friends with every person that you, you know, hang out with, but you're never going to make a new friend if you never hang out with those people in the first place. Yeah. But I think the thing is like, people don't take friendships, like finding and seeking friendships as seriously as they do finding and seeking out like a romantic relationship. Yeah. I actually saw this really interesting video of um, Jane Fonda, <laughs> just another my mom thing, thing my mom would love, but she was like, you have to keep pursuing people. Oh, I saw it. You saw that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's how you make friends because like, you know, someone may be more introverted, but if you guys have a good a good bond and like you can get along and you can talk, like keep pursuing that friendship. Obviously make sure they're also pursuing you back, but don't be afraid to be like a little ambitious because that's the way to make friends. Yeah, I was listening to Jay Shetty's podcast. He's, I'm making my entire personality like loving Jay Shetty now. I discovered him like three weeks ago and I'm obsessed. But um, he was talking with somebody about how like we prioritize like romantic love mm -hmm. and it's like, I don't know, not as important as, I mean, not not as important. Let me yeah. say that. <laughs> we prioritize romantic love, but there's so many other different kinds of love yeah. that we just like, throw by the wayside. Like, he's like, yeah, you find a new person that you're dating. And then like, what happens? Your friendships go out the window. Cause like you just ignore them. You spend all the time with the person you're dating. And then when you guys break up, like you go back to them and it's like, yeah, no, <laughs> it's like in your relationship, like who, if something's going bad that you can't tell your partner, who are you going to call? If you don't have friends, if you don't have a Chelsea that you can harass 24 <laughs> seven, what are you going to do? 
Yeah, no, I don't know. I think people just like, the advice is you need to actually prioritize trying to find friends. If you really want to find friends, like set up a friend date. Like you guys know I'm close with Cache. Like I slid into her DMs. Yeah, we went out for drinks Mm -hmm. and that's how we became friends. Or like Piper said, actually follow up with people when you meet them out in person. Um, And I just like, don't be afraid to do it. I think people are afraid of the uncomfortableness because like it is uncomfortable. It is. Oh my gosh, it's (laughs) so awkward. It's uncomfortable, yeah. And I think another part of it is that I personally don't like is like, not saying I would be part of the 10% that voted like I'm good. I don't need any more (laughs) friends. But like, there's a comfort that you have with friends that you already know where it's like, you don't have to try. Like you don't have to be anything but yourself. You don't have to put in energy. It's like the friends that you can just go and like chill with. Yeah. Like you have to put a lot of effort and energy and like, it's like kind of draining Mm -hmm. to meet new people and to like put on this, not like you're pretending to be somebody else, but like. But yeah, but like, I feel like also too, if you find someone that's like a good, like, not to be so happy, but like soul match to you, then you'll kind of feel like you'll feel that groove when you're on like your first friend date. Like you'll kind of be like, it doesn't feel like so. What's the weather like? Like you will kind of get into like more of a conversational vibe, and like maybe maybe the silences are still a little bit awkward, but like <laughs> you'll you'll feel that just like you on a first date. Like right, you'll feel that like the, the more of a vibe. Yeah, feel out people's energies and like go for the ones that make you feel at ease mm-hmm. and comfy. Yeah. Okay, so my my final question. Mm-hmm. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm so ready. <laughs> Is there anything that you want to be vulnerable about? I need to give everyone this advice that you've literally been telling me for the past, like, four months. Oh, my God. I can't wait. You guys know I love to give advice. <laughs> yes. And Chelsea is <laughs> the best advice. Um, Chelsea has been telling me for the past four months as I was, like, looking for a new job and, like, really trying to move back to New York and, like, honestly probably in some of my lowest lows that I've been in in a long time – everything will work out and life is about ebbs and flows and like you just need to be patient and it's it's gonna happen and I think that that can really apply to anything but I know that there's just kind of like this you know there's always this feeling at least for me maybe this isn't universal but for me there's this always this feeling of like I need to be doing more I need to find something better I I need to like hit all these goals and blah 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 and I think that really started to like resonate with me when I was hit 25 because when I was 21 I was like when I'm 25 and I had this checklist of things that I was going to be, um, and then I quit my job and was living with my boyfriend and had nothing going on, and I was like, damn, I'm failing. Like, this really feels like failure. And I would literally be, like, crying on the bathroom floor as, like, pathetic as that sounds because I was like, I'm not hitting those goals that I that I had set out for myself. Um and, like, yeah, some of those goals changed. Like, I thought I was going to be married, and now I can't imagine being married right now. Yeah, I really thought that. Um, but that was very naive of me. But, like, you know, in that, you have to understand that, like, things take time, and it's going to come. So, like, just keep working at it. Like, for me, it was, like, I couldn't find a job to save my life. And I I was, like, I'm never going to be happy again. I'm never going to have money again. I'm never going to move back to New York. I'm never going to move back to New York. I'm going to lose all my friends. Um, And that was, like, literally, like, I think I I stopped calling friends. And I, like, just was calling my mom because I was, like, nobody needs to hold this emotional baggage except for the woman who gave birth to me. (laughs) Um, And that was, like, honestly really – it was really hard. And now that I'm kind of at the end of that and, like, kind of able to look back, I'm, like, it – is about timing, but, like, it is about, like, sticking out and understanding that, like, that hole, that pit that you're in, that, like, hopeless feeling that you have isn't forever. 
and like it doesn't mean it's not going to be again but it's not forever and like you have to kind of like live in that and understand that and like know that pain but also know that like it's going to make that high feeling so much better um and that's like I think I'm in a high right now and like i I do I'm so scared of that low like I don't know because obviously you can't predict the future and I don't know what that what and how that low was going to manifest itself but I'm so happy to be able to look back on the last four months where I was like really struggling and like really just like feeling like a piece of shit like I had no idea what was going to happen um I'm thankful that I was you know able to get through that and I can look back on that now and be like I'm proud of you Piper for getting through it and sticking with it and yes it was hard but like look where your perseverance got you I'm proud of you, Piper. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> no, like, first of all, you're not pathetic. Oh, thank you. We all cry on the bathroom floor sometimes. It happens to the best of us. Life. But, like, I mean, I guess it was good advice that I gave. It was. But, like, it's – let's not downplay how hard it actually no, is. No, it's like, so it's, hard. It's very easy for me to sit here on FaceTime and tell you, oh, my God, it's going to be so worth it when you find that perfect mm-hmm. job. Like, it's just about the timing. Like, you're going to be fine. You're going to find it. But, like – when it comes to me, like, I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, what's, yeah. what's going on here? Like, I'm so impatient about it. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's much easier said than done. Um, but it, it, and like, it's like the worst advice to hear, but the truest advice <laughs> there is. It's like, and I, that was like literally all I could hold on to was like, you were telling me that, my mom was telling me that, like, Brendan was telling me that. And I was just like, like, I literally got a dog because I was like, <laughs> I need something to, like, I need to care about something because like right now everything feels so hopeless and like it got it got to the point where I didn't even want to go to therapy anymore because I was like I don't have anything to say to her I've said I've said it I feel this the feelings haven't gotten better and like yeah they've gotten worse but like what I'm gonna say like yeah I still feel like shit like everything (laughs) still sucks like I hate this situation um and like obviously there was like little wins in there but I think that now I can look back on it and be like damn that sucks I was like really in a bad place but I i I'm better because of it now. Yeah. And like, just from an outside perspective, like your energy is completely shifted. It fe- I feel like, like you, I feel you came so much out better. of this like rain cloud and now you're like, I'm getting back to myself. Like I'm in New York. Yeah. And I'm so freaking excited for you. I'm, I'm so happy. Yeah. It just feels, it feels good. It feels yeah. good to be me again. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, you've been amazing. I could talk to you all day, obviously. obviously. <laughs> um, tell everyone where they can find you on socials. Yes. You can follow me on Instagram at Piper, P-I-E-P-E-R underscore James. Um, same on TikTok. I don't know if there's an underscore in there. I actually can't remember. <laughs> my Instagram will be a little more polished. My TikTok will be absolute chaos. Unhinged. So come come follow along for that. And then I also have a um, vlog channel with Brendan, but I post on it more. Um, and that's Piper and Brendan Vlogs on YouTube. And if you want to follow me, it's at Chelsea Vaughn on Insta, at Chelsea Vaughn underscore on TikTok. And you can watch us on YouTube now. It's at Vulnerable Pod. Piper James, thank you for being here. I love you. Love you. I love you so much. (laughs) And we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.